with me in your copy of the Word of God, the Hebrews chapter 12. And it's hard to tell if it's hot or cold in here. Some have their coats on, some have, uh, but it's warm to me. Amen. Amen. That means it's on, on 90 or so. We do invite you to look with me at Hebrews chapter 12. And when you have found it, say amen. Beginning in the verse, verse 12, we read, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight the path for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see, see the Lord. Look carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Let us pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you. Thank you for all that our ears have heard. We thank you that you're here. And Father, we need, we need a word from you. Father, strengthen us where we're weak. Show us where we need to change. And we'd be so careful to give you the praise and the honor because we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church said, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Today is going to be the final uh, message in a series of messages that have kind of uh, been segmented that I've entitled Unqualified, Unqualified. There is a minister who happened to be a pastor of a church who's making his way to service to preach one Sunday morning when he noticed in the middle of the road not far from his house that a small creature was in the road and it had gotten its head caught inside of a can. Being an animal lover like this pastor was, he decided to slow down and drive close to this creature to determine how he might be able to help extricate this creature from the can. To his surprise, this was not some ordinary animal. The small creature stuck in the can was none other than a skunk. So now the pastor has a dilemma. If you help the skunk whose head is caught in the can, it will believe that you're trying to harm it and it will feel threatened and when the skunk feels threatened, it will raise its tail and you will get sprayed and the stench of the skunk's spray may stay with you for weeks. What would you do? Would you leave the skunk in the can? Or would you do the animal-loving human being thing? As for me in my house, after dialing 911, I will very comfortably roll my window back up and get to church and preach. That's more important, isn't it? Sometimes there are skunks caught in a can that even if you try to help them, they will think you're hurting them and you will end up wounded trying to do good. There are people that are like this creature that I just described. 
You can spend hours praying for them, counseling them, bankrupting yourself for them, crying your eyes out for them, only to find that many times they're more comfortable in the can and will fight you when you try to help them in the way that would get them out of the can. You see, sometimes being in the can can become a way of life. God's word has a lot to say about people that get stuck in the can. And I want to just share some scripture about people that we try to help. And this kind of resulted from this message. I was talking to someone. And the more I gave advice, the more excuses they had. And I found that by the time I was leaving, I was actually in tears. And I'm wondering, what, why am I all emotional? And they're just as comfortable in the can. There's some people that you can't help. There's some people that if you keep giving your efforts to try to get them out of a lifestyle that has become a way of life for them, the result will be you will be totally discouraged and drained. Here's what the Bible says. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only expresses his opinion. Facts don't mean anything. It's how I feel is what counts. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2. A fool's lips walks into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. His mouth invites a beating. He talks himself into a beatdown. Proverbs 18, verse 6. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to the man of understanding. Proverbs 10, verse 23. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Proverbs 23, verse 9, the word of God. And lastly, leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight Whoever corrects a scoffer or a fool gets himself abused, sprayed. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove, reprove a fool or uh, a rebuke a fool, or, you, or he will hate you. Reprove the wise, and he will love you. Sometimes you need to leave skunk in the can. When we come to Hebrews chapter 12, the, the writer to this audience that has scattered as a result of persecution is reaching out to a group of believers who have contemplated walking away from God. Some of them have walked away to avoid being identified with the cause of Christ because that was the reason they were being persecuted. But the group to whom I believe the apostle or the author of the book of Hebrews is speaking to in chapter 12 is the group that's trying to rescue those who are so easily turned away from the things of God. And sometimes when you go back into the house to rescue people, who don't want to acknowledge that the house is on fire, you can get burned up in the flames. And so what he's saying to them, those readers who are coming to a point of discouragement and exhaustion, he's saying that there's, there's some situations that you cannot correct, that you just need to leave alone. Leave the skunk in the can. Now, don't go call your, your wife or your cousin or your relative a skunk, 
It's, it's an analogy. It, 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 the point of the analogy is that there are people that you will try to help, and then you're reaching out to them from your heart. They will bite you. They will scratch you. They will reject you. They will give you a hard time. And the ones who are keeping them in the can, those are the people that they will embrace. Now, there are just two things that I want you to consider with me as we look at this passage in Hebrews chapter 12. The first of, first of the, the, the things that I want you to consider is, uh, is this. You must do five things. I'm not going to look at all five, but you must do five things to avoid becoming discouraged, losing your passion, your fire, your commitment, your love, your enthusiasm, your will to serve the Lord, keep you from throwing up your hands. Keep you from saying, you make me lose my mind. I'm going to lose my mind up in here. In verses 1 through 14, there are five things that you should do. In verses 15 through 17, there are two things that you must not do. So there are five things that you must do and two things that you shouldn't do if you're going to avoid Casting your pearls among swine. That's an analogy that the Lord uses. They're, they're still pearls, but what, what do swine know about pearls? They, they, they know slop, they know dirt, they, they know mud, they know stench, but they don't know anything about the price and the value of pearls. You must do five things to avoid becoming discouraged by other Christians that you're trying to help, by that spouse that you're trying to help, by that coworker that you're trying to help. By that struggle, that area in your life that you're trying to struggle. Here you are trying to converse with the enemy like Eve conversed with the enemy. What in the world are you doing talking to a snake, Eve? What in the world are you doing talking to negative thoughts? What in the world are you doing entertaining things that God never said? Five things you need to do to avoid discouragement. Other Christians can, can wound you. They can, they can take the energy that went out of your cell. First of all, in verses 1 through 2, when he says, look at, in verses 1 through uh, 2, it talks about we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses and let us take hope in looking at their testimony. But here's the key. Here's how you overcome when you're, when you're helping, when you have a desire to rescue and the, the people that you're trying to get out of the house don't, the house is on fire, but they don't believe it. It ain't on fire. It's just hot. No. Okay. Here's what you need to do. The first thing you need to do is to focus on the Lord. He says, looking unto Jesus, who is the what? Author and finisher of our faith. We need to look at the finish line rather than the race. Looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, who looked beyond the difficulties and the struggles, and he saw the finish line. He saw the finish line. And so sometimes instead of us concentrating on the distractions that come in our everyday walk, we need to look and see how Jesus Cross the finish line. We need to see him at the finish line encouraging us to overcome the mountains that are in, in, in before us because he said if we have the faith the size of a mountain, the size of a mustard seed, we can speak to mountains. That's the Jesus who crossed the finish line. So focus on Jesus. Say focus on Jesus. If you're discouraged right now, if you feel like giving up, and you're trying to, you done got the skunk spray all over you, and you just don't feel like helping nobody no more, or you keep going back for more, I want you to know that you're not focusing on Jesus. You're focusing on the can. Focus on Jesus. Here's the second thing that you need to do in this briefly. You need to figure out the lesson that God is trying to teach you when he has to chastise you because now you've taken your eyes off of Christ. In verses 3 through 11, he says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, if you yield to the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, if you, if you recognize that the Lord chastens those who he loves and the fact that you're under chastisement and discipline because you've taken your eyes off of the Lord and you're focusing on your issues and you're depending on your own strength, the Lord said if you, you need to figure out, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to cause me to learn so that I can walk in a way that is pleasing to you? So the second thing you need to do, you want to overcome discouragement? I want you to know that the Lord is not the one who sows the seed of discouragement. That comes from the enemy. That comes from our flesh. That comes from individuals that the Lord, that the devil puts in your path. 
you need to figure out, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Whatever you're going through, there's a reason God allowed it. He could have prevented it. He could have limited it. It didn't have to happen. But if he allowed it to happen, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? That's why the Bible says, count it all joy when you are experiencing diverse testing. For there's a reason for every test. There's a reason for it. So figure out, what is it? What, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? You're going to learn the lesson. You're going to learn. You, just, you may stay in the kindergarten. You, you, you may keep getting demoted. You're not going to get promoted. You're not going to skip the class of, of, of hard knocks. You need to figure out, Lord, what are you, why do I keep coming back to the same lesson? Because God is trying to teach us that we need to focus on him. And when we don't, there will be chastisement because now we're operating in our own strength rather than his. Now, here's, what I, we're, here's where I want to concentrate for those of us who really have a heart to be pleasing to God. Those of us who want to make situations better than they were before we became involved. Anybody like that? You want to make things, you don't want things leave, oh, here she comes again. Here, no, no, I want people to say, here he comes, he's a problem solver. He's, he's a person that will intervene. He's someone that will give me direction and help. And more importantly, not because I have the abilities, I'm so smart, but because there's an answer for every problem in the word of God. That's why the scripture says, study to show yourself approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly cutting straight the word of God. When you cut straight the word of God, his word will equip us unto all good works. How many good works? All good works. Everything that you need to know. And God said, I will instruct you and guide you in the way that you should go. And if he instructs us and guides us, it's going to come through this word. There's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I need God to light my path. And my job is to give an answer to every man who asks of a reason of the hope that's with me. How? arrogantly know with fear and in we need not only to figure out the lesson that God is teaching us through chastisement and remember some of the bad stuff that is happening to you is not bad luck remember that the Lord chastens if you belong to him he will discipline you be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, you're going to reap it. If you sow to the flesh, you shall of the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. There's a consequence for our actions. Be sure your sins will find you out. So discipline may be the reason why you're discouraged. And the Zantac ain't working. The Zanac ain't working. The Halidol ain't working. <laughs> Percocet ain't working. I have a couple clients that love Percocet. Did you bring the Percocet? That's a whole nother sermon. Here's a third thing that you need to do. When you want to help that relative, when you want your spouse to, to have the joy of the Lord, when you want to have that healthy relationship with your daughter or your parent, and, and yet they won't let you help them, you need to do this. You need to fix what is broken in your life so that others won't become discouraged. Listen to this. It says, therefore, strengthen the hands, verse 12, which hang down. Those are your hands. You become weary, you become weak, and your feeble knees, and make straight the path for your feet. Get yourself together, get situated, <laughs> so that what is lame may not, so that, the, that weaker Christians that are looking to you for an example will not become dislocated, but rather healed, that they don't become permanently disabled because of your bad testimony, because you're having not only a bad day, but a bad month and a bad year. So here's how you fix what's broken in your life. The hands that are, that are hanging down and the feeble needs. Acknowledge personal weakness. Uh, as a newborn, as a new minister of the gospel, I didn't think that I was supposed to have any 
I'd lie to myself for real. And I remember I used to think on the opposite side of the desk, I hope they don't know what I'm thinking. <laughs> Amen. Now, of course, you all think the right thoughts. You never, your mind never drifts away from the things of God. And the Ten Commandments are engrafted in your brain. And every time you wake up, you burping out, thou shall not. And thus saith the Lord. That, that, that's not how my mind works. Yeah, the Bible says your thoughts are not my thoughts. That includes you. Your ways are not my ways. Doesn't that include you as well? Come on, church. I know the ladies aren't here, but come on now. Come on, help a brother out. Notice that the withered hands and feeble knees are describing an emotional condition with physical terms. In other words, when your hands don't have strength, when you don't have strength to lift up your hands, or you don't have strength in your knees to stand up. That's how your mind is working when you're discouraged. You don't have the strength to lift yourself up. You don't have a desire to read your Bible. You don't feel like praying. You don't feel like saying, ain't God good all the time. You don't feel like serving in the ministry because your hands and your knees are weak mentally, emotionally, if we could have a way of visualizing or giving a tangible example of where we are when we discourage, because you can see a broken arm. You can see when somebody have a fracture and a cast on the leg, but you can't see a broken heart. I don't care what MRI you take. I don't care what bone scan. You ain't going to see a broken heart. You're not going to see a depressed spirit. And too often what we do, we, we gloss over things that literally paralyze us. If you are discouraged, you're not going to serve in the spirit. And so you need to acknowledge where you're weak. The good news about where you're weak, the Paul says, where I'm weak, he is strong because the strength of God is perfected in my weakness. Until we acknowledge that we're weak, God can't exemplify his strength. We can't experience that I can do all things through who? Through Christ. Through who? Through Christ. He is the one who strengthens me. He is the vine and I am the what? Come on, church. I am the branches and apart from him, we can do nothing of any value. It has no eternal value. The Bible says all of my righteousnesses, the best that I can do on my best day in my own strength is as a filthy rag in God's sight. So I need to acknowledge I got some issues. I've got some issues. Sometimes I get discouraged. And sometimes the source of my discouragement, and let me just be, come on, can we talk? Don't tell the ladies when they come back. They ain't going to know any of what we're talking about today. Sometimes the source of your, my discouragement are the people of God, the ones that you're trying to help. You know what I'm talking about? Kids that you, I remember taking our kids to a Burger King. It was a special Sunday. Took them to Burger King and didn't have a lot of cash on me. And I brought, you know how you get the meal, everybody get a meal, it's a burger for a dollar. That's all I could afford at the time, a burger. I always say, Where, where's my juice and, and where's the juice in the fries? That's what they did. I packed up the hamburgers, put them in one bag, dropped them in the trash, and we went. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> no, 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 no. They ate that burger without fries that day. Acknowledge that you have a problem. Also, active, actively take steps to encourage yourself. He says, therefore, strengthen your hands. Strengthen your hands. When you know, this is the thing, sometimes you need to take a vacation with the Lord. You need to slip away. You need to get away and spend some time with you and Jesus. He says, strengthen your hands, encourage yourself. Remember the story of David? David was uh, the, the, the 600 mighty men when their wives and their, their money and, and their property was taken. And David came back to the camp, and 600 mighty men picked up bricks <laughs> standing outside on Rogers Road. There he is. Ain't that the pastor's car? I see him pull it up. 
Make sure you get the boulder. Get him in the backside. I'll take the front side. All 600 men, they're going to stone David. And David's standing in the midst of his mighty men. He lost property. He lost family. He was brokenhearted too. The Bible says, but when the mighty men got finished crying, they cried so hard. You ever cry so hard that your eyes are swollen shut? You ever cry like that? Where you, your eyes are literally swollen, swollen shut and no tears can come? I know what that's like. And they say, okay. Now it's okay. Cry until your eyes are swollen shut. And, and, but what do you do after you finish crying? They picked up bricks. <laughs> so what happens, we want to blame somebody. So they picked up bricks. David is the one who brought us out here. And we, if it hadn't been for him, my children would be here. My IRA would still be in count. If it hadn't been for that woman you gave me, I wouldn't have had to go into my fifth and sixth divorce. If it hadn't been. The Bible says that David... <laughs> In the midst of his enemies, when the Bible says, I prepare a table before you in the presence of here's what that means. The Bible said that David encouraged himself in the Lord right in the midst of his enemies. God prepared a table. A feast in the midst of his enemies. He strengthened himself. He took a, a dose of God. You need to learn. Even in the midst of your enemies, I don't care where you are. You may be on the highway. You may be at your job in a hostile work environment. You may be in a heated discussion with somebody on the phone. You need to be able to transport your teleport yourself from that situation and move into the very presence of the Lord and get some strength from on high. Because I'm going. you can look up unto the hills wherever you are and your strength will come from him who sits high and he looks low and he releases to those who can get into his presence actively take steps to encourage yourself get on the plane the stewardess will say any event that the cabin loses air pressure an oxygen mask will be released from from the uh, chank the cabinet or the, the you've been on the plane yeah <laughs> yep and, and and uh, once the oxygen mass is released, first put your, your own mask on and the air will begin to work. And once you have secured your own oxygen mask from the upper part of the cabin, then you can assist others who cannot help themselves. The reason for that is if you ain't healthy, if you ain't got your stuff right, who, how you gonna, you're going to be dead and the person that you're trying to help. So there's not going to be one person, there's going to be two people dead. So you need to actively do whatever it takes when you find yourself being discouraged because you've reached out and your reach has been rejected. Actively do what it takes to encourage yourself. Avoid giving giving into the spirit of discouragement because when you give into it, not only are you going to be distracted from what God has called you to do, but the weak, as I've already said, the lame will become not only this, it's one thing to have a dislocated leg or hip or something like that. It's an entirely different thing to become permanently disabled. Now you got an amputation. And so what happens, the devil is not just after you when he can get you focused on your pain and your discouragement and your the disappointment, he's after the people that you influence. He doesn't want your light to shine before men. He wants your light to be dim and under a bush so that people that have been watching what God is doing in your life can no longer see Jesus. Satan uses discouragement like a return boomerang. I know you own a couple boomerangs, don't you? Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> Just told a lie, but that's okay. <laughs> I love my brother. A return boomerang is a very unique Australian invention. A Pan-American, it's an old invention. It's different from most boomerangs. Boomerangs were used for competitions, used for hunting, used for sport. But when you use a return boomerang for hunting, what it does, you throw it at somebody that just walked into the church. <clears throat> and you, when you hit them, the boomerang has the ability and special technology to come back to you. It's a return boomerang. 
So if you throw it and you hit the target and you turn your back on the boomerang, you're going to get knocked right upside your head too. So a return boomerang has the ability to hit the target and the person who threw it. So the goal of the enemy, when he discourages you, he uses your discouragement to, get, to knock out more people at one time than he would if you did not recognize that that was his intention. Avoid giving into the spirit of discouragement. Here's another thing that you need to do. So we need to figure out what the Lord's trying to teach us. Focus on the Lord. We need to fix what is broken so that we don't influence others to become permanently discouraged and, and damaged. But we also need to fight for peace. Say fight for peace, fight for peace. with everybody. The word in the text says pursue peace. Say pursue peace. And the picture is this. The, the Greek word actually literally means when it comes to peace and harmony, when it comes to coming into agreement and unity and having a healthy relationship with people, you should seek after that the same way you would if you were starving and, and didn't have food. You know how you would seek after food if you were starving? You know how you're going to seek after food during the Eagles game? You know how you're going to, it's, it's, it's like that, but it's 10 times worse than that. So, so when it comes to peace, everything that you can throw in that direction, hunt for it, desire it, make every effort to be in a harmonious, agreeable relationship with everyone. Guess what? It's a command. Say it's a command. That's why I'm saying fight for it. Fight for it. It's also a challenge. Because in order to have peace, you have to have cooperation. And so what the Lord tells you and I to do is to pursue the peace. Go and help that person with their head in the can. Go and help that person that doesn't recognize they need help. Go and help that person that's more concerned about being right than making it right. Go in and get this thing right between you and your wife, between you and your children, between you and your co-worker. Go in and fix it. But guess what? After you've pursued the peace like a person who is starving for a piece of bread, the person who has the bread may not give you a piece. So it's a fight, and it discourages you when you go and you say, is everything okay? Oh, yeah, you know, if it wasn't, I'd tell you. Don't you think I'd say something? What makes you think something wrong? Why are you always trying to find something? Why? You ever try to make something right with somebody? <laughs> and by the time you leave, it's like, and if you really allow the spray to get on you, now, not only are you discouraged because you obeyed the Lord and it didn't work, now you're discouraged because the person hurt you all over again. But here's the command. You pursue the peace. That's your job. The result is God's job. If the person doesn't want to be reconciled, if they don't want to make it right, if they don't want to come to harmony and agreement, that you don't have any control of that. You just try it and do what God says. And then in that act, you are being obedient. You are pursuing the peace. You're fighting for the peace. And then you need to let it go. Let it go. Don't, don't let the spray get on you. Because we're going to see when you get the spray on you and you get around somebody, you ever get around somebody that needs a couple Tic Tacs or three? <laughs> Aren't, isn't it funny how those people always want to talk right up in your, they're right. They want to really, let's talk about Jesus. No, let's not talk about Jesus. The spray, if you think that you somehow are responsible for how another person responds, then you, you've been sprayed. It's on you. It's on you. And, and that, that, that will be, you'll be carrying that around. And it will hinder your ability to impact, to, to interact in other relationships. So some of the spray that was put on us from bad and broken relationships, we carry it into new relationships. Now, don't misunderstand me. You need to own what you did. <laughs> so some of this sometimes it's you. But I quoted the scripture when he didn't because he may not have known the scripture, but he was obedient to the scriptures. <laughs> Are you with me? Say, fight for peace. With everybody. It's hard. Because some folk just don't want to cooperate. 
Some people are, feel empowered by anger, by taking the wind out of the, the air out of the room, by being in control. And they will be in control if you give them the control. Are you with me? All right. Here's another thing, the fifth thing that you must do. First, you need to focus on the Lord. Figure out what God is trying to teach you. Fix what's wrong. Fight for peace. And then forsake personal sin. Say forsake personal sin. Notice what he says. Go back to the scriptures with me. Amen? He says, pursue peace with, with all people and holiness. Say holiness. Without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest a root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble. Now, we often think, hmm, the Bible says pursue holiness for without holiness, and that is, without holiness, the Bible says no one will see God. So I don't go to that kind of church. I'll go to a holiness church. Well, you may not go to what you consider a holiness church because that's not a part of the denominational title, but if you are born again, you are holy because you have the spirit of God living in you. In fact, uh, so what does it mean to, to, to pursue holy? It means to forsake personal sin. That's basically what it means. And so to forsake personal sins means to, that means that you need to strive to, 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 do, to be what you already are in Christ. You already are holy in Christ. That's who you are. Another word, the Greek word is hagias. And we translate that a saint, saint or holy. If you are a believer, you are a saint of God. You may not act like a saint. You may act like you ain't. But in Christ, you are holy. Listen to what the scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a what? Holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so what we need to do, he says, without holiness, without living a life that is set apart from sin, you're not behaving based on who you are in Christ. You are holy. You are a saint. You are a set-aside one. We are working out what God has already worked in. Work out your soul, salvation, and what? Fear and in trembling. You have the spirit of God. You, you say, well, well, I'm going to church today. No, you're taking yourself. You are the church. The church meets in this building. The Bible says, don't you know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God, you are the house of God. You are the body of Christ. The spirit lives in you. You're holy. And so... In order to live holy, you need to strive to be what you already are. Let God work out what's already in. Stop behaving like who you aren't. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Such were some of you. You were liars. You were fornicators. You were idolaters. You were sorcerers. You were sodomites. You were a whole lot of stuff. But now you've been washed. You have been redeemed. You have been justified. You have been sanctified. Start being who you are in Christ. That's what it means to be holy. It also means to be holy. Separate yourself from bad influences. There's some people who profess to be Christians that you don't need to be swinging with. The Bible says that bad and bad Bad influences corrupt morals. People who aren't walking with the Lord, the Bible says, come out from among them. Be ye what? Separate, save the Lord. And touch not the unclean things. And so what it means to be holy is to stop sinning by becoming, being who you are in Christ and behaving like what you are in Christ and separating yourself from others. Say, say amen. amen. Now, why should you do this? The Bible says, without holiness, no one shall see God. Here's what happens. When you try to help people that are professing to be Christian and they won't let you help them, and they may listen to you get off the phone, they're going to pick up the phone and talk to somebody else up the street to go to the church around the corner. To hear, they're going to keep calling somebody until somebody tells them what they want to hear. Discouragement can make you think that it's okay for you to sin. I tried what God wanted me to do. 
I, I, you know, I was just trying to help Christians. And look, look at this, you know, maybe the Bible doesn't work. Maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't work. And so the Lord said, don't you think that you can live without practicing holiness and still make it into heaven? Your discouragements and depressions and the bad stuff that happened to you in your life, it really did happen, but there's no excuse for you to habitually practice sin. Because without a lifestyle that, is manif that manifests holiness set apart from sin, the Bible says you're not going to see God. So don't use your bad experiences to justify your ungodly behavior. That's what he's saying. He said, I know that you've been through. I know that you see a mass uh, 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 apostasy and people walking away and, and you're just worn out and you're feeble and you're tired and you just don't feel like, what's the use of going to church? What's the use of using the Bible? What's the use of getting trained? What's the use of getting up on Sunday morning? It really doesn't work. I'm going to start taking my, I'm going to give me some hits there. I'm going to give me some hits. I'm going to do what I used to do. And I, by the way, if saved by grace and I'm going to get to heaven. No, no, it don't work like that. So personal trials are no justification for us to continue to live. Well, God grades on a, on, on, on a scale. No, he doesn't. He doesn't, well, if, he, if things weren't so bad for me, I would live. No, no. Whatever the situation that you find yourself in, God has given you the ability to be obedient to him. Without holiness, no man shall see God. Even when we're discouraged and depressed, even when we feel like giving up, even when people have hurt us, even when people have disappointed us. So those are the five things that we should do. Here are two things that we shouldn't do, and we'll be done. Here's the first thing that you should not do. Do not allow yourself to fall short of the grace of God. Do you see that? Looking carefully, lest, you, lest anyone fall short of, glory of the grace of God. Do you see that in verse 15? See that? Amen, amen, I'm glad. I'm glad you do. Now, there are two types of grace. He says, be careful, do not fall short of the full benefits of God's grace. Don't live beneath the privileges of the grace that God has given you. There are two types of grace. Now, I'm not talking about common grace. Common grace is the grace that woke you up this morning. The, right, the righteous and the unrighteous received that. I'm not talking about efficacious grace. Efficacious grace is a grace that God uses. The Bible says we're saved by faith through grace. Even the faith that we have is a result of God's grace. So efficacious grace means that a specific kind of grace that God uses to bring us into saving. I ain't talking about that. Here's the kind of grace I'm talking about, too. Messy grace and amazing grace. Messy grace is this kind of grace where you allow what people have done to you when you tried to help them or when they should have been helping you to cause you to lose your joy, your peace, to rob you of your praise, where you're living, instead of living like an heir of Christ, you're living like a pauper. You're on a luxury line of living in the garbage can. That's messy grace. Here you are saved, and, and you feel with the Spirit of God. You belong to the family of God, and you're living like you don't have a father. You're living like the cattle of a thousand hills don't belong to the Lord. You're living like, dad, like your dad doesn't love you. That's messy grace. That's the, the devil wants you to operate in the level of messy grace, grace that is really not unmerited. This is grace that is, is, is conditional love and acceptance by God. That's not biblical grace. But then there's amazing grace. He says, don't allow yourself to miss out on the full benefits of grace. Amazing grace is the kind of grace where God says, I will bless you beyond what you can even ask or think. Amazing grace is the kind of grace that says, my God supplies all of my needs according to his riches. That's amazing grace. It's not deserved. It's not merited. We can't earn it, but it's amazing. It's the kind of grace that makes you run when nobody's chasing you, makes you cry tears of joy when you don't even know why you're crying, makes you raise your hand when you didn't intend to raise your hand, makes you love your enemies and 
pray for them who despitefully use you and bless those who I'm talking about amazing grace. I'm talking about living according to God's unmerited favor that has been poured richly upon you. I'm talking about the kind of grace that gives you access to the very presence of the Lord so that I can come boldly with full confidence that whatever I ask him, if it's according to, I'm talking about amazing Amazing grace. He says, don't allow anyone or anything to, to cause you to accept messy grace when God has made available to you amazing grace. And he says, don't allow no bitter root to grow. Refuse to allow any root of bitterness to spring up, causing trouble and by this many become defiled. It's really interesting what can happen when you get burned, when people let you down, when you keep trying and you just seem to be able to get ahead. And, and the, more you, the more you try, the harder it gets. He says, be aware to avoid a root of bitterness that will spring up in you. Now, here's the interesting thing. The analogy is this, a root it's something that grows beneath the surface. You may not even know it's there until it bears fruit. Every one of us have, has some kind of root in us. I mean, sometimes we, we, we can cover it so well. We, we came to church with our lipstick and makeup on and we got our clothes and we washed it clean. And so I, I, we don't always, because it's beneath the surface. But what happens, whatever the root is, it will produce fruit. And the fruit that is described here is to beware that you don't have a root that produces bitterness. Now, the cause of the bitterness is, it, 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 you see, the fruit is bitterness. And what, what happens with the bitterness in the Bible, it represents poison. It represents contamination. It represents something that is toxic. So if somebody else gets a hold of it, if you know how they put the, the, the warning on the bottle, keep out of reach of kids. Well, well, bitterness is something you want to keep out of reach of anybody that's around you. But unfortunately, we don't even know that we have the root because we don't understand the cause. And the cause of the root of bitterness is a hurt that was never healed. And sometimes the hurt that was never healed is real or imagined. It was, if your mother had been there, if your father had been there, if they hadn't said that, sometimes they didn't say what you thought they said. But you believe it and that what you believe has left your heart wounded and that wound is now a root. And what it's producing is anger. It's producing rage. It's producing unforgiveness. You have, you're tormented. You can't move forward. You're stuck. You don't even know why. You're mad. Mood swings. One minute you're happy. The next minute you want to fight. The next minute you're talking about praise Jesus. And the next second you're cussing somebody out. I want you to know that you've got a root problem. And if you don't deal with the root problem, the fruit will continue. Not So some, he says, beware that the root doesn't, doesn't bear, be birthed in you. So when you have a root problem, something happens in you. And he says, the root bears fruits, then something happens through you. And what happens through you happens to others. He says that it will defile many. It will destroy your children. It will destroy their children's children. It will destroy every relationship if you don't deal with anger and unforgiveness and bitterness that's caused by a wound that was inflicted. He said it will defile many. Don't allow your bad experience of whatever happened to you to so impact you that you become an instrument in the hand of the enemy to not only continue to destroy yourself and pre prevent God from doing what he's put you on this planet to do through you. Now you're injuring others. Now here's the deep thing. He said, don't be like Cain. He was a fornicator. Don't be like Cain who gave up his birthright. An analogy is this. The root is in you. So what, what, you, you, what, what, you are up, what has hurt you is inside of you. And the fruit comes out of you. So what is in you comes out of you. And what comes out of you hurts others. But what's coming out of you that hurts others also takes something from you. Cain forfeited his birthright. 
When you are operating under a spirit of bitterness and unforgiveness and rage, what happens is the destiny, the birthright, your purpose, the vision that God has for your life will end up with somebody else. You'll never realize everything that God intends for you to do. And so he says, here are two things that you shouldn't do. Don't live beneath the privilege of grace. Don't be living like a penniless pauper when your father is rich with houses and land. And don't let someone have the kind of control over you that now they have a, you have allowed a plant to grow in your life, the root of bitterness that is poisonous. And every time you turn around, you're in the same conflict, the same friction, and you don't understand because you haven't dealt with the root cause. You've got to deal with the root you can't, the devil's a liar. And the people, see, if it wasn't the people that were closest to us, it wouldn't bother us. The devil uses family members and friends. David said, if it had been my enemies, then I would have understood it. But it was my familiar friends. It was the ones that I told my hearts the deepest, darkest secrets. They were the ones who wounded and hurt me. But if you don't deal with the wounded and hurt, you call yourself being mad at your mom, you should have been there, call my dad, he's a dirty dog. Okay, guess what? You've allowed that root to be birthed in you. And now it's going to produce. When you got a root, it's going to produce. It will produce. And it's not going to produce love and charity. It's not going to produce grace and mercy. It's going to produce bitterness, which is poison. Leave the skunk in the can. Leave the stunk in the can. There's a story that I've shared with you before about Satan. Stories is told that one day he decided to have an auction, and he was selling some of his most effective tools that he's used to defeat Christians. In one corner, he had the tool of jealousy. On the other side of the room, there was envy. All of them had a price tag, envy, jealousy, hatred, anger, malice. All of them had price tags. And then one of the potential buyers noticed that way off on the other side of the barn sale, there was, a, there was an instrument that was, had the highest price of all. I mean, it was so highly priced that no one could actually afford it. And so he asked, why is this instrument so high? And, in comparison to the, all the others. He said, because it's my most effective tool. So, well, it's all beat up and it's all scraped up. It's all, I mean, damaged, he said, because I've used it a lot. He said, because if I can use this tool, I can make a man leave his wife and his children. If I can use this tool, I'll make a woman jump out of a window. I can make a pastor quit the ministry. I can make uh, 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 the whole ministry shut down. If I can just use, and he said, well, what's the name of the tool? He said, discouragement. When you are discouraged, when the devil is allowed to spray you and to incapacitate you, you become an instrument in his hands. You become like putty because you no longer have strength in your hands to serve. You no longer have strength in your knees. You feel, you feel feeble. And so we need to make a decision. There's some people that we can't help. There's some situations that we can't enter into. There's some things that we just need to pray about. There's some people that we just need to love at a distance. There's some things that we need to confess. Lord, I've been angry for all these years. Lord, I haven't forgiven my father. I haven't forgiven my mother. I haven't forgiven my children. How could they do this to me? How, uh, you know, whatever it is that has wounded your heart, you need to come clean with God and say, Lord, I'm tired of having this root produce what I can't control. It's out of control, Lord. But greater is he who is in me. The Lord can deal with your pain. Let's pray.